are listening to the Grow Together podcast, the official podcast of the Grow Together community, a place where no one gets left behind on their self-discovery and personal growth journey. And now, here's your host, Luke Burrows. Hey guys, welcome back to the Grow Together podcast. And today I have Jamil uh, from the States joining me, which is really, really awesome. I connected with Jamil, it was last year, around November time, I think, was it? I think so. Um, so guys, really awesome to bring Jamil onto the show today. He is a coach and strategist, a master NLP uh, practitioner as well, an author offer as well so um guys um i will include all of his links in down in the description so check that out but yeah gonna talk to him today about his story his journey and take you guys on, on a little bit of a journey so joe thank you so much for joining me today luke thank you so much for having me and hope everyone who's listening is having a great day and ready to get some value from today absolutely so yeah let's let's dive straight into what you do then and uh and Matt, so like in your own words, um, what do you do and how do you help people? And then we're transition over into your story and how you got to that place. Absolutely. I'd love that. And so as you alluded to, you know, I've been a transformation coach now for 15 years. I'm also a physician. I've been a practicing physician for two years. And I work with leaders and high performers from around the world, people who really want to do and be the best they can at whatever they do, the things that matter most to them people who want to make an impact. They want to mm. help other people. And these are the people that I live to serve. And for me, it's how do I help them make their dream come true? How do I help them unlock their full potential so I can help them make their best better? And lastly, how do I help release the mental blockages, the things that are keeping them stuck so they can create the health, the relationships, business success, and that spiritual peace, happiness, and fulfillment that they're looking for. That's been my journey and my process. And it's been deeply, deeply rewarding and gratifying. You know, that's what I live for. That's awesome, man. And yeah, I noticed that you've worked with like athletes, entrepreneurs, authors, you know, got like business professionals. Um, so search of like a like big range of, you know, different people in different industries and that. So I'm really interested in, in that and kind of how that's been like connecting with all these different people and helping them and serving them. But also if there's something, because they're all operating at, you know, like you say, um, a high level if there's been you know in that over different industries if there's been similarities if that makes sense you know what you see where I'm going absolutely I, I I think that at the end of the day you know people are people yeah and so we're all human and we all have you know pretty much the same challenges just to varying degrees and so you know whether it's a world champion athlete who's saying hey I, I have this business I also want to you know explode into he, he has relationship problems. And then the, the physician who contacts me is saying, hey, my wife wants to divorce me and I don't really want that to happen. And then somebody else is going, hey, I want to grow my real estate business, but my energy is low. I have a lot of brain fog and there's a lot of health component to that. And so I look at people in a holistic light because I don't think that it, if I just said, hey, here's a billion dollars, but you know, everyone that you love, you don't get to see them anymore. Or it's like, you know, you have the, business that's thriving but your relationship is falling apart it's you're not going to be that happy like you want to have it all and so there's all these different areas of life and I don't think um, it's great to focus on one and ignore the rest and so I take the medical side of things I take the coaching side of things with the psychology and the relationships and merge them together so people really get that extraordinary life they're looking for with which 
from my perspective, an extraordinary life without regret is what I think we all deserve. And that's what I've been striving to help others achieve. Mm. And I think it'll make more sense when we get into the story as well. For sure. For sure. We'll dive into that real quick. Just kind of picking up on something you, you spoke about there was, um, so do you believe that people can have it all? Um, because a lot, a lot of people may have the, call it like a limiting belief that maybe like they can't, right? They can't have the amazing relationship and, you know, a huge business because of like whatever limit, limiting belief that they hold. So it's just something I picked up on now. I'm kind of curious about that. So I think that the key here is, yes, you can have it all, but understand that all is in quotes because you determine what all means. And so, for example, I could say to you, Luke, you know, what does an extraordinary life without regret look like? And you might tell me, well, I have a business that I'm extremely passionate about that brings in a good income so I can live the life that I want to live. I'm serving people. Me and my partner are having a wonderful relationship. I'm contributing in these ways. My health is where I want it to be and whatever else that you're looking for. To me, that sounds like you're living a pretty incredible life. And yet you, your business could be serving people, making you a lot of money, doing all this wonderful stuff. Maybe it's not making more money than Facebook, but does it need to, you know, like mm. it, that's on you. And so when I say have it all, I absolutely believe you can have a business in align with your passion, a beautiful relationship, your health is in check, you're contributing, you're doing all these wonderful things and you're developing, you're growing. And every area of your life at that point really starts to click. And so again, you can have it all, but really get clear on what that means for you. Because obviously there's opportunity costs when you choose to do one thing, you're not doing something else. If you decide, you know what, I'm going to go put in a hundred and... 20 hours a week into a business well yeah if you're gonna do that then your relationship is gonna get sacrificed a bit and your health will probably get sacrificed a bit too but you don't need to put those 120 hours in you're choosing to so if you recognize that that could be what all is for you so just getting clear on what it is that's the life that you want to live and recognizing that you can't have that and so yeah in terms of the story the journey that you've been on to get to where you are today dive in dive into that for us and we're really interested in how you got into it into where you are today and kind of like i suppose also what life was like before diving into this world of uh personal growth personal development you know being a coach a strategist and on all the amazing work that you do absolutely i love that yes yeah, so my journey for me it really kicked off when i was 14 years old and so you said what happened before then prior to 14, you know, I was probably the, you know, the, your average kid. I was into video games, junk food, my friends, <laughs> movies, and just hanging out and having a good time. And uh, when I was 14, you know, I started high school and I got into track and field. I became a runner and I had been athletic baseball, basketball, but not, you know, running mm. right? <laughs> intentionally running. I never really yeah. did that. And so I noticed that I was getting sick all the time. I didn't feel good. I wasn't sleeping well. And my track times were pretty much horrible. <laughs> and I was wondering what was going on. I was putting in, we were running six days a week. I was doing two hours, like for the Monday to Friday, mm -hmm. Saturday was the race. So well, I was putting in the effort and I wasn't getting great results and I wasn't sure why. And at some point, something clicked in my head and said, maybe it's my diet. And I started thinking about it. And I think YouTube came, I was in high school 2004, I was 14. And so YouTube came out between 04 and 05, I think somewhere in that range. And so I started watching these videos, reading books by different physicians and learning about nutrition and what are we supposed to eat and all these kind of things. 
And I started recognizing, wow, I'm apparently doing everything wrong. <laughs> and my diet is pretty horrible. And looking back now, after working with all the people I've worked with, I've had the worst diet out of anybody I've ever met. <laughs> and so overnight, I made a bunch of cold turkey changes, such as going from three liters of soda a day to a gallon of water a day. I stopped having fast food four to five times a week. <laughs> I started incorporating vegetables into my diet, which I didn't touch before then. I cut out a lot of the process and the sugar and all that kind of stuff. Stopped getting sick. Energy went through the roof, felt better. Track times dramatically improved. And I started thinking, all right, wow, there's got to be something more to this. And then so that led me down this journey of like passionate obsession. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I started looking into more things, health and learning as much as I could. And people started approaching me, whether they be friends or family or friends of family and saying, hey, I noticed that, you know, you seem to know a lot about this area. Can you help me with this? And there I was 14 years old and I'd have a doctor who's 42 and the head of their hospital saying, hey, my patient has diabetes. What can I do about that? Because, mm. like, you know, they don't want to take the medication or they're not responding to the medication well. And then I would say, oh, you know, try these two or three lifestyle things, these foods, stop this, add this supplement and it should work. And then they would do it and their patient would get better, get off their medications and they would start to feel really good. And that was so inspiring to me. It's like that positive mm. feedback of, shit, you know, this is working. <laughs> and so I really liked that. And so that made me want to keep learning and keep learning. And that continued to this day. And also around 14, 15, I started thinking, what are the other areas of a truly fulfilling life that I would really want to learn about? And I thought, well, relationships are big. So I started looking up some of the top marriage therapists and dating coaches in the world, buying their products and programs, reading their books and learning about that. And in the same fashion, people would come to me and they'd say, hey, you know, my relationship's not going well, or my wife wants a divorce, or it's getting rocky. And I would help them with their communication. I would help them improve their intimacy and the passion and bring back that spark that is alive in the beginning, but typically fades out for most people over time. Mm -hmm. And it was just this, it kept rolling and it kept like a snowball effect. It kept growing and getting so passionate about it. Then I remember just typing in one year, I think I just went on YouTube and typed in motivation 2005 or something like that. Right. And all these videos popped up that people put together of, you know, Les Brown and Tony Robbins and all these different guys. And they'd be like 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there of each speaker with the great pump up music in the background. And I found it really uplifting. And so I started downloading these MP3s from YouTube and I, to this day, I have uh, over a thousand MP3s in this one uh, playlist, and wow. it's just like inspiring things that uplift. And I kind of use them to just control what was entering my mind, control what was playing internally. And I started to think like that. And so all of a sudden, somebody would come to me for help, and I'd be working on them with their health and their relationships. But then a lot of mindset work came in, mm. a lot of motivating them and inspiring them and just believing in them more than they were believing in themselves. And they started really loving it and getting results. And again, it felt really good. And this persisted. And then when I was 19, I was a sophomore in my university. And my father had a brain aneurysm. And if anyone's not familiar with what that is, imagine one of the blood vessels in the brain. It starts to balloon out. And then if you're fortunate, you kind of have one of the worst headaches of your life. You go to the hospital, they clip it, and you're, you're out, and you're good to go. But my dad's bursted. And so I remember being in the hospital, he was at a four hour brain surgery. And we were told by the surgeon that his chances of survival were less than 5%. And so I 
walk into the room after he had surgery and he was alive. So it's already, you know, a miracle, but he was in a coma and it looked like a train hit him. And I felt these two emotions. One of them, I felt this deep sense of helplessness because I felt like I really couldn't do anything to help this man who was to me, the epitome of what it meant to be a man. You know, he's my father and I loved him dearly. And the second emotion was this profound sense of regret because I felt that I had taken my relationship with him for granted. I felt that I was 19 years old and, excuse me, I was 19 years old and I had prioritized up until that point, my, you know, my own research, like I was just talking about video games, hanging out with friends, movies, all these kind of typical things. And my dad was only 49. So I was thinking, oh, you know, he's got another 40, 50 years. Like, you know, we, there's not a rush. And so I felt like I would never have that opportunity again because we were told he could die at any moment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a fairly long story. So fast forwarding, he, was, he survived three years uh, before he passed away. And in those three years, we helped him make almost a full recovery. And it was the most incredible experience of my life. And it was also the most horrible experience of my life. And in those three years, the first year and a half, it felt as if I would go to sleep at night and I would be crying because I'd be thinking, I wonder if that was the last time I'm going to see my dad. And then I'd wake up in the morning in a little bit of a brain fog. And I'd be wondering, was that all a dream? And that's like, you know, 500 something days in a row. And it was really mm -hmm. tough for me. And I, I felt like I matured in so many ways. I took two to three years off after I graduated to be one of his primary caregivers. And there were days where I got to spend 14, 15, 16 hours a day with him, working out with him, eating with him, going to physical therapy. We both are musicians, so we would do that. And when we'd go for walks together, we just talked and he became one of my best friends. And that was from prior to the aneurysm. We had dinner together, we saw each other, but we didn't really spend that much time together, like that deep quality time. And so kind of my prayers were answered when it came to that 14, 15, 16 hours a day to really get to know him in a way that I never had the opportunity to, or that I didn't take advantage of. And so there were so many moments where my patients got tested as a primary caregiver, anyone who's tried that or done that knows it, it wears on you in every way, spiritually, mm -hmm. emotionally, physically, mentally. And it was really tough. And at the same time, I learned so many lessons about myself and about life and about death and a perspective. And when my dad passed away after three years, I remember being in the wake and over 7,000 people came. Wow. And it was a five-hour wake. And he was 53 when he passed away. And he was a physician himself. And almost everybody shook my hand in the five, 10 seconds they had of me. And they said, your dad saved my life. And it was the most beautiful, humbling experience in the world because most of these people hadn't seen him since he was 49 or earlier. And, you know, I remember the, um, the guy who was hosting the event told us, you know, we broke every record they had <laughs> over 7,000 people in the five hours. And I stood there by that casket. I shook everyone's hand and it, it made me recognize that I had been playing small in my life, that I had been up until this point, a really shy person. And I cared way too much about what other people thought about me. I was afraid of judgment. And I was afraid that if I really shined the light that I had to, and the gifts that I had to share with the world that, you know, you might think negatively of it mm. and that wouldn't feel good. You know, I remember I was, a, I'm a singer and I remember I was so afraid to sing in front of other people and something as, because it was like, oh, what if they don't like it? It's that little things like that, but it applied to all areas of my life. And I recognized I was playing small and it really hit me, you know, not anymore. And I'm going to really give it everything I have because 
in the three years that my dad was around after his aneurysm, two of my cousins passed away. One was 20 and one was 21. And if you spoke to either of them when they were 18 or 19, and you said, tell me about what your life's gonna look like, neither one would say I'll be dead in a year or two. The, pers the perspective of my dad and those two cousins really hit me. You know, there's that quote the Dalai Lama said, everyone lives like they're never gonna die. And then they die having never really lived. And so I stopped procrastinating. I stopped putting off my goals and my dreams. I stopped giving life everything I had. I stopped experiencing every day as if something to get through. And I started experiencing each moment as the miracle that it is. And I saw the magic that was in each. And that was this beautiful gift that my father gave me through his words, through his actions, and through just his presence in those three years. And after the three years and after he passed, I went through my own grieving process where I really wanted to kind of flood myself with everything him so that I could really express all the emotion that was in there. I'd seen so many people in my life suppress their grief and suppress their emotion because it was too painful to, to experience at the time. And yet five, 10, 15 years later, they're still in so much pain because it never came out. Mm. And it even can manifest as illness and disease in the body. And I didn't want that to happen. And so what ended up happening was I spent several weeks listening to his audios of him singing, listening to voicemails, looking at pictures, and really coming to peace with you know life as it is now and not resisting it. And at the end of the two weeks, which is what it turned out to be, I kind of felt like I experienced his death those first 500 days every day. There were multiple times where he would have a seizure in my arms and it was mm. just him and I. And um, Seizures might last 30 seconds, two minutes, five minutes, and I had no idea what to do. And there were so many moments where he almost passed away that it felt like I had kind of already experienced it to some degree. And so after he passed those two weeks, I went so deep into my own expression of my grief and my emotion that it felt like it was coming up, it was coming out, and I felt so much lighter. And, I, and then after the two weeks, I just felt this deep sense of peace and I'd be able to see pictures of him or listen mm -hmm. to him and feel so grateful that I knew him at all and feel so grateful that I had him in my life. And so I stayed home for the remaining six, seven months of the year, was with my family. And then I applied to medical school and I went to uh, the state of Arizona and I was there for five years, had a wonderful experience and graduated, practiced for a bit. And I recognized that coaching is my primary passion and I'd been doing it you know, throughout that whole time and I wanted to really commit to that fully. So then now in the work that I do, I do coaching predominantly, and then I incorporate the health into one aspect of it. And that kind of brings us full circle into where I'm at right now. Wow, man, um, I wrote so many notes, so I'm just gonna have to, I hope you have enough time to kind of go, go through them. Like so many questions and that to ask. I suppose the first one, when you were talking about, you know, being shy and having that fear of, um like the outside world i'm curious like looking back do you know where that kind of like came from so it's interesting i i feel like my journey i started off from what i've been told and from some memories i have of being a kid of not shy at all and i was right. the i was like the kid that was always like loud and going out there and doing stuff and then at some point probably around 11 or 12 maybe somewhere in that range mm -hmm. i something i don't remember specifically something must have happened at that time period where maybe it could have been like a school bully it could have been anything but something must have triggered me because i got shy around that point and i started 
uh, holding in, if I had something enthusiastic I wanted to share, or if I felt called to do something, I might hesitate for a moment and then think, well, what if other people see me? And then all of a sudden, now I'm caring more about what other people think about me than what I think about myself, excuse me. And so I think that is what started it. So it's kind of what started, you know, not mm -hmm. shy at all, became really shy for seven years or something like that. And then you broke out of it because I really saw that it wasn't worth it. That's interesting because a lot of people, as you, you probably know with your work, maybe um, subconsciously, you know, they have like the experiences that then change them, you know. And so they may have similar experiences like yourself that maybe, you know, growing up they are um, more kind of like out there and then they have the experiences. It could be like, like you say, a bully or just an experience in that, in that like teenagers, you know, that can then ultimately, you know, like completely change their life, but even at any age as, as well. So, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to touch, you know, to touch on that because I think a lot of people could be able to relate, relate to that, you know? Absolutely. And the teenage years are definitely interesting because that's, that's kind of the time period where the, you know, the kid will start to become a little bit tribal. It's like, the, you know, the kid has their, their group of friends and they mm. want to be cool and they want to be seen as like one of the guys or one of the girls. And you start to think more about what your friends think of you than maybe what your family yeah. thinks of you. Your family tells you all these great things about you, but it doesn't mean as much if your friends don't like agree with it. It's kind of like you start to value the, your peers' opinions more. And so yeah. for, for all I can think of, that probably was what it was with me. I just can't remember a specific moment. And I also really want to touch on um, in terms of food and diet and exercise, because obviously it's, um, you, you know, you've seen transformations there. With that, I, do you think that people undervalue, like there's sort of this thing about, you know, gym and kind of exercise, right? Which is obviously important to stay, you know, physically active. But do, do you then think people undervalue diet and food? Well, I think that they can. I, I wouldn't say everybody does or like a blanket statement, but I no. would say that because you know, yeah yeah because they might like work out but then go home and eat shit you know what i'm saying so yeah. yeah and the thing is also when people are young you know we're both young but when people are our age or younger we have a lot of reserves our body is very resilient and robust and so you can get away with exercising being active but eating pretty shitty now when i say get away with it i didn't feel good when i was eating poorly mm. right but I was still, you know, probably better than most people who have a lot of chronic disease. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, as we get older, this, the thing that you did at 16, 17, 18 may not work so well at 30 or 35. Some people are in college and university and their mindset is, oh, yeah, I'm pulling all nighters. I'm sleeping three hours a night. And then I just get some coffee and I'm good. And then you try doing that when you're 30, 35, 40, your body doesn't work. Like you, it, it doesn't function like that. So as you get older, it gets harder to re retain that health and that energy mm -hmm. that you had when you were younger, especially if you're polluting the body with these toxic foods, you know? And um, so I would definitely say that chronic disease doesn't show up overnight. Chronic disease typically takes decades. Mm -hmm. And so one of the issues is someone who can be eating really poorly in their teenage years, in their 20s, but they go to their, their yearly checkup with their doctor if they do that. and Doctor's like, well, you know, blood work seems good. Your vitals are fine, vital signs, blood pressure, stuff like that. And their mind says, well, my doctor says I'm good. What they're not seeing is that they have multiple diseases potentially brewing, like under the hood, that are going to show up when they're 35 or 40 or 50. 
And then they're going to think, I don't get it. I've been healthy all these years and now I'm 46 and boom, I got type two diabetes. Now that type two diabetes has been like kind of growing for let's say a decade. It's just that it took 10 years for us to get to this point. Mm. But if we're, if we're proactive about it and we're prevent and we're focusing on prevention, you know, if I could give advice to anybody learning, cause I start, I had my kind of insight into nutrition when I was 14 and that definitely kept expanding. I didn't change everything overnight. But I changed like the biggest things, but if people start young, especially with food and exercise and they build this really, really powerfully strong foundation, it's like when you have a building, if the foundation is good, you can grow tall. If the foundation is weak and unstable, you start building up higher and higher. The building starts to shift, starts to shake. It might drop over. And so just keeping that foundation as strong as possible and eating in the way that's best for you. Yeah. So on that, like, I think everyone, okay, maybe a blanket statement, but everyone kind of knows, like, to kind of, you know, eat well, exercise, sleep, you know, like, we kind of know it, you know, like, I knew it, you know, when I was growing up, like, everyone kind of, you know, knows it, right? But then doing something, like, doing it is a completely different thing, right? So if I say, like, why do you think that is? I'm kind of interested in your thoughts and, and that on it. Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head, this idea that you might know what to do, but are you doing what you know? And if the answer is no, then you don't know it. You just kind of intellectually understand it. Yeah, okay. So for example, if I say, you know, if the stovetop is hot and it's red, like it's burning hot, but you don't know, you're a baby, you've never seen that before. So you touch it. And you burn your hand and you pull away. And now your brain makes that neuro association. Mm. Oh, stovetop, hot, hand, bad. Like, don't do that, right? I don't have to, you know, uh, ask you, well, how come you're not touching the stove anymore? Like, you, you know it. Like, it's in your body. You're just like, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, mm. it's clear. In the same way, I think that if somebody, let's say if we could all live twice. Imagine you could live from zero to whatever age you're going to be at when you pass. And then you could literally have a reset, but knowing everything you knew after the first round. If you could do that, I think almost everybody wouldn't have that issue because they'd be 60, 70, 80, and they'd be experiencing the impact that their body has had over the years of making these improper you know, choices when it comes to their diet and lifestyle. And now they know it because they feel the consequences of it, kind of like when the kid burns his hand. And then they get to start over. And then you'd see the nine-year-old making the kale smoothie and <laughs> right, doing right, all that yeah, kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And so I think that okay. when somebody says, this is something I really want to do, but I don't do it, right? In this case, maybe I really want to exercise. I really want to eat better, but I'm not doing it. It's because you don't really want it. And so the thing is, I don't have to convince you to do something that you really want to do. If I ask you, you know, Luke, give me something that is so exciting for you that you really want to do, and you might give me an answer, and you don't really have to come up with a lot of reasons to back up why to do it, to justify it. You don't really need any. You just want to do it. You come up with a ton of reasons to justify things that you don't really want to do. <laughs> and so a lot of people will think that, you know, I really want to eat better, but then they don't. And it's because in the moment they might think, well, you know, whatever their concept of eating better is, mm. the food doesn't taste good or it's expensive or it's too complicated to prepare. But none of those are necessarily true. You know, 
I've had healthy food that tastes way better than anything you're going to get that's, let's say, you know, unhealthy. It's just that how are you seasoning it? How are you preparing it? You say it's expensive, but where are you shopping? There are places where you can get it cheaper. It doesn't always have to be organic. You can get things cheaper in different ways. You know, it's difficult to prepare. Learn how to cook, like learn how to make it. You know, hire somebody if you have the funds. People say, I'm not good at that. Well, you aren't good at anything and you got good because you practiced it. Yeah. You know? And so when it, at least when it comes to the, the diet and the lifestyle, exercise, same thing. Someone goes, I really want to exercise more, but I don't like going to the gym. Well, that person in that moment isn't realizing that they have a very narrow view of what exercise means because they might not like to go to the gym and lift weights, but do they like to swim? Do they like to dance? Do they like yeah. to play tennis? Like anything that's moving their body? And if they go, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that was exercise. It is. Yeah. You have to go walk in nature. Like anything yeah. is fair game. It's just moving the body. And so I think that when, once people are very clear on why something would be beneficial for them, I think it's, it's so easy for them to just do it. It's when we're not exactly clear because the brain has a hard time noticing what it's going to gain because it's more theoretical and it has a really easy time noticing what it's going to lose. So if you're eating really poorly, so for example, with me, when I was 14, my brain might be saying, well, I'm going to lose my delicious McDonald's and all these <laughs> things four or five times a week. Excuse me. I'm going to lose all this soda that I enjoy so much. I'm going to lose this and lose this and lose this. Well, that's scary. I don't want to lose things. You know, people don't like change in that sense. But if I can see what am I going to gain? And I start realizing, you know, I'm going to start feeling better. I'm going to have more energy. I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And that type of motivation was enough for me to at least get started. And as I started seeing results, it started being positive reinforcement and I got more motivated. Yeah. So it's like, you know, somebody wants to lose a hundred pounds and they start working out when they get on the scale and they lose those first five, that's the greatest feeling in the world because mm. they didn't get to a hundred yet but they're making progress. And now it gets easier and easier to stick with the nutrition plan, the exercise, because they can see that it's working. Yeah. You know? So I think yeah. people just need to get started. Oh man, that's so many, so many questions. <laughs> so the first thing I, I, I did want to say when you mentioned about like, I think you mentioned cooking and like you'll figure it out. Um, you probably do you follow um, Gary Vee. Yes. Yeah. So I was listening to a podcast of his. Um, it's a little bit different, but it reminded me of it. Um, when people say to him about, you know, social media, can't figure it out, et cetera, you know, to grow their business. And, and, and he always comes back with, well, you know, you didn't know, knows how, uh, I think something like you didn't, didn't know how to learn to drive, but you figured that one out. Right. And so it just reminded me of that because if somebody makes the excuse, you know, about cooking, right. Well, when we're born, we don't know how to walk, you know, when we, you know what I'm saying? So we, we don't know how to do things, but we learn and we grow and we gain the skill sets, right? So it's just an excuse that people throw up, maybe because they don't, they don't want to do it or something. Um, so yeah, I just want, wanted to throw that in there because it reminded me of that, that people just like give excuses, you know? Yeah, and, I've, and something else I wanted to add in is an easy way to start doing certain things that on the surface you might not want to do. So yeah, you could learn how to cook and you could spend time doing that. You might not want to, right? And that's fine. Yeah. Um, there's ways to eat healthier when you eat out. There's, there's um, fairly affordable people that can come in and cook meals for you. But something interesting 
is find something that you really are passionate about, like whatever, like your, your career that you want to create, business, whatever it is, and find a way to link that other thing to it. So for example, I mentioned I had a client uh, a year ago, he's a real estate investor, and he want, and help, I was helping him grow his business and, and work on his relationship with his wife. But at the same time, his health wasn't right. He wasn't exercising. He wasn't drinking enough water. He was eating crappy food. He had brain fog, low energy, all these different things. And I started showing him how, hey, these are the results you're getting in your business. Imagine what you could do if you had three, four, five times more energy. Imagine what you could do in your business if you actually thought clearer. Imagine what you can do in your business if your relationship with your wife was so great that your home environment was truly supportive and that you loved being home and it was rejuvenating. And then you could show up back to work with 100% of your capability. Because right now you're showing up probably with like 45. And now all of a sudden, he hires me to help him grow his business. And he sees that, oh, wow, if I work on the nutrition and the exercise and the relationship, my business will improve. And if the business is, let's say, the primary passion or motivating driver, I can now get him to do the other things that he needs to do that are going to benefit each of those different areas of his life, but they're going to help collectively as well. You also mentioned before in terms of um, like when you start to see results. And so I'm interested in your thoughts on if people, you know, their exercise and food and everything, but they're not seeing the results that they want to see that sometimes can be challenge, you know, difficult for people to like, well, why am I bothering, <laughs> you know? So I'm kind of interested in your um, like thoughts on that. Is it sometimes like just that consistency over a bigger period of time, then people will start to see results, you know? Well, yeah, I think that it goes twofold. On the one hand, just like we said in the beginning about you can have it all, but again, you define what all is. Mm -hmm. You define what results are. Yeah. And, and keeping in mind that, you know, you mentioned Gary Vee and he talks about this and it's true. It's, you know, patience is typically dramatically forgotten and overlooked and in the world. Yeah, yeah, undervalued in the world we live in. And so using that example of, you know, the weight loss, if somebody's trying to lose 100 pounds or they're trying to gain, you know, an extra 100,000 in their business, if you do all these different things in your lifestyle, and then you get on the scale and you've lost two pounds. Well, if you had an expectation to lose 10, you might be disappointed. Mm. But if you recognize that you used to be 100 pounds overweight and now you're only 98 pounds overweight, you're making progress and you're lighter than you were yesterday. And so all of a sudden it's like, wow, my body's responding. I'm doing good. Like, this is great. And then you keep going. And then maybe you get to 94 and now you're feeling even better. But then what happens? You might have a momentary relapse and you gain two, three pounds of water weight. And rather than getting discouraged because you feel like you went back and then you just throw in the towel and give up, you realize, you know what? This is just a momentary setback. Let me just keep going because this is important to me. It's important for us to know why it is we, we're doing what we're doing. You know, what's the motivating factor? And if we have a strong enough why, there's that old expression, we can endure almost any how. You know, hardships happen, but if the why is strong enough, it pushes you through it and you can persevere. In the business side of things, again, let's say somebody wants to make an extra 100000 and you tweak all these areas of their business and their goal is, all right, that means I need to make, you know, eight to 10000 more each, each month if it's going to be linear. And then they make 2000 the next month. They still just made $2,000 they didn't have before. And we can keep building on it and growing on it. So I think that keeping your results in perspective 
of are you basically making this big expectation of yourself that's unrealistic? If you're 50 years old, your health is poor. If it's poor, it's taking you 50 years to get to this point. Don't beat yourself up when it's been five weeks and it's not completely reversed. It won't take 50 years to undo, but it might take a year. It might take two years. It might take three years. And falling in love with the process along the way. A lot of people, when you're at point A and you're at point Z, don't just wait to celebrate until you get to Z. You know, because when you're at D, you're no longer at A. Like, keep celebrating every step of the way and it makes the journey enjoyable. You know, if, uh, if you're waiting to celebrate until the end, you know, I, 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 there's an analogy I like to use with some of my clients where, did you ever see The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. Picture the yellow brick road and imagine there's a person walking down the road really slowly and they're admiring all the beautiful flowers and you know scenery around and they're just stopping every now and then to take it all in. Very zen, very peaceful. Everybody else, for the most part, is just sprinting by this person because they're trying to get to the Emerald City and they see it in the distance. It's far away, but they see it and they're running as fast as they can to get there. And then you come by and you're huffing and puffing and you get real tired. So you stop for a second and you see this person like staring at the floor and you don't know what the hell he's doing. And you ask him and you say, sir, is everything okay? Oh yeah. Like I'm just admiring this like, gorgeous like flower. And then you look at it and it really is like breathtaking. You're like, wow, that is, I've never seen something that beautiful. And you go, is this like the only one here? And he goes, no, no, these have been throughout the whole road. And you haven't noticed it at all because you've been sprinting, staring at a finish line, not realizing that metaphorically, when you get to the Emerald City is death. So you're rushing to the mm. end, not realizing that you're missing the whole journey and adventure that is life. Yeah. And you get to the Emerald City and then it's like the gut, you knock on the door and the, you know, who rang that bell? No, the guy opens the door and you didn't realize that he's basically about to walk you into the afterlife and he's like so what was the uh the highlights of your life and you're sitting there thinking um well what do you mean and he's like oh this is the end like that was your life how was it and you realize i rushed through it you realize i didn't stop and smell the roses i didn't stop and appreciate and enjoy and then you realize that that guy he was walking so slow and stopped at times recognized that from the beginning or at least in the middle at some point and he realizes, I'm going to get to the end when I get to the end. Why am I going to rush it? I'm going to mm. make every moment as enjoyable as possible. And so I think that in both of those examples, each person defined what results mean. Him was enjoying the journey, enjoying the process, and the person who's running through it, the result is, I'm not there yet. And so they can't have fun. They can't enjoy themselves. They can't be at peace because they've made this definition for them, a condition of, I'll be happy when... And so their condition is, I'll be happy when I get that new business. I'll be happy when my marriage is like, you know, much better. I'll be happy when I make a certain amount of money. I'll be happy when I get the promotion or the new job or whatever it is, when I get a certain amount of subscribers or followers, not recognizing that happiness is an emotion and an emotion is an inside out phenomena. Emotions never come from the outside in, which is why happiness doesn't exist outside of you. And when we recognize that, it means that nothing or no one can ever make you happy. Only you can. And so when we see that, you can achieve things and they might give you momentary pleasure. You might feel good for a yeah. little while. But then if you think that making a million dollars is going to make you happy, 
you'll make the million if you do, and then you'll be you'll find pleasure in it for a bit. You'll spend some money, you'll get some toys, and then you'll realize you still feel maybe empty. So now you'll think maybe I need five million, and then you'll work your ass off and you get to five million. Same exact thing will happen, which is why there's millionaires and billionaires that commit suicide, because it's not about you know just acquisition and obtaining all this stuff. It's that can you find that peace in you in this moment? Can you find that happiness in this moment? And then as you're going from A to Z, rather than I'm not there yet, I'm not there yet, I'm not there yet, it's like, wow, when I met Jay, that was a dream when I was at B. Mm -hmm. You know, the life I'm living now, personally, business-wise, is a dream a year ago. And mm -hmm. so even though I'm not where I want to be yet, I am deeply grateful for where I'm at now. Yeah. Because I, I, I stopped. I, I use this example of, you ever see the Lord of the Rings movies? I haven't, no. But I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. But just think of it like this. You know, um, you know, Frodo, the main guy, is going through these three movies in this one big journey. Yeah, yeah. And think of that like each of us, we're going through our own mm. hero's journey type of thing. And most of the time when we want to give up, it's because we've been going for so long at whatever it is we're doing. And we only stop to look forward and see how much farther we have left to go. We never stop and turn around and see how far we've come. And when you stop and see how far you've come, you realize the, the progress you've made. And that's something really worth celebrating. And it's going to make your journey not only more enjoyable, but far more likely you're going to get to the end and not give up. But if yeah. you make every rule and condition that you'll only be able to celebrate, you only, give your, you only give yourself permission to feel good when you achieve and when you get there. At the end result, you're probably not going to make it because you're probably going to give up. And Steve Jobs had a great quote where he said, you know, passion is so important because if you're not passionate about what you do, if you don't love what you do, you're going to quit because you're sane. Why would somebody stay with something that's so difficult for so long if they didn't love it, you know? And so get clear on what it is for you that you truly want to do, what that extraordinary life looks like. Make sure it's your life, your choice, not somebody else's version of the life you should be living from their perspective. A lot of us live a life based on what our parents think, yeah. or we live a life based on what our peer group thinks we should do. And then you ask someone, so why do you do what you do? And they have no idea why, they don't know how to answer that. Or they think, oh, well, it's good money. That isn't a reason because you can make that money doing something else what would you love to do? Like what would make every day a Friday? Like why does, don't live for Friday and then all of a sudden it's Sunday night before you know it and now Monday to Thursday has to happen again. And then you're only enjoying what, four days, five days of your month? <laughs> no, man. Um, but I think in terms of that, I kind of think it's like it's ingrained a little bit into like the culture and like society a bit as well. Like even just like small things, you know, I and mean, maybe I'm kind of over analyzing it, but like, even when like I turn on the radio or something, it's like like a celebrating Friday, like like tomorrow's Friday, you know. And I think like even just that, like it's like so innocent. But I just think that for people who like listen to it and you know they're um, absorbing kind of a, even when like people watch TV, if like an advert or something, like they're absorbing these messages. In my opinion, so it's like you know it has an impact on their mindset a little bit, you know. And I don't know if you you go along with that, but. Um, for me, it's just like ingrained into like society, you know? 
absolutely and i think and i you know when, I, when i'm in the gym sometimes they have a tv on and there might be like the news station and they'll say you know oh you know tomorrow's friday and it's like a big celebration like you said and but think about what that in what what, it, what that underlying intention is it's almost friday you don't have to go to work tomorrow like or the <laughs> next day or something as if like that's a good thing mm. and most at least in the united states i remember hearing there was some type of survey done and it's like 50 to 70 percent somewhere i think it was called closer to 70 percent of americans don't like what they do but the thing is also understand that nothing has meaning except for the meaning we give it mm -hmm. and so what's the difference between monday and friday they're just days just if you good, ask yeah. you know if you asked an animal i remember uh if you ask an animal if, if they could speak you know your language what what time is it what day is it it's today like every day is today every moment is now like that's it but sunday night you arbitrarily make this meaning to monday about why monday sucks and then that's going to make you not feel too good about monday but monday is going to happen a lot for the rest of your life why are you going to make monday horrible but if you can find something that you love to do and somebody might say you know if you can make $100,000, $500,000, a million dollars or more in a job, excuse me, that you really don't like. And it's, you dread the sound of the, of the alarm clock. You don't like going to work. You come back home and you don't like how you're interacting with your family because you're kind of bringing that negativity and energy with you of a day of doing what you mm. hate. But you're making money, right? But if you were making $100,000 doing something that you hate and you could make 65000 doing something that you love. Absolutely. And even if you had, you know, you might have to live somewhere else. You might have to downgrade. You might have to sell some stuff. But you could start at 65 doing something that you love and then build it way past 100. So now maybe a year, two years, five years go by. Now you're making more money than you were at the job you hated and you actually love what you do. But we talked about before that instant gratification type of perspective or mindset. Mm. A lot of people don't want to build. Yeah, Sorry, I, man. Uh, Sorry, man. I was just going just gonna to jump in because even on that, like, they may uh, still, so they may want that kind of 100K job to buy things to then impress other people. Whereas if they didn't care about, you know, other people's opinions, living a little bit, you know, within their means or whatever it is, 60K would give them the life that they kind of desire. You know what I'm saying? So then it's also, that, you know, that's kind of my thought process as well. It's like, that, you know, people then want that extra money or whatever it is. Um, sometimes, you know, for to then impress other people as well, you know? Yeah, and getting really clear for yourself on, it, let's say you were to write a list. If I say, here's however much money you think you would need to live this life of your dreams, whatever that is, it, it'll vary for everybody. And then I want you to write the money on the top, whatever that amount is, a piece of paper, and then start listing all the stuff you're going to buy and go crazy with it. But then after you write your list and it's exhaustive at that point, if I said, you just got, you put private Island, you put jet, you put all this stuff. And after you finally exhausted it, where you're like, I have no idea what else I would spend this money on. So at that point you're like, yeah, I'm done. Like this is all I would need. Now you go through each one of those. Why do you want that? Like, why do you really want that? What would that do for you? How would your life be different? How would your life be better? You start to recognize that you're never chasing the thing, the possession, you're chasing the feeling that you think that would, that would give you. And so, for example, nobody wants more money for the sake of having more money. Because if I say, here's $5 billion, but you can't spend it, 
now your bank account is high, but you can't do shit with it. So you're realizing that money is more of a means to the end. Money is a way for you to get something else that you want. And so when you realize, oh, I don't really want more money, I just realized that if I make more money, maybe my family will finally val value me and think that I'm good enough. Okay, so it's got nothing to do with money. It's just that if you had a conversation with them heart to heart, you might be able to get that feeling you're looking for. Oh, you know, I need to buy my husband or my wife this really expensive thing because there's an insecurity in me that if I don't buy them gifts, they won't love me. But it really isn't the thing that you think you need to spend money on. It's the connection that you're missing out on. And that's free. And so it's, it's really interesting that when you go through a list, as you said, you know, most people are buying things they don't want to impress people they don't like, that old, you know, that old quote. And so if you go through that list, A, you'll realize that the life that you really want to live is a lot cheaper than you think it is. It's really interesting if you go through, because you could even say, do you need to own the island or, or do you just want the experience of being on the private island? And you might say, well, no, you know, the upkeep would probably be a pain in the butt. So just the experience of it, great, because there's billionaires that rent their private island for a weekend for like one one millionth of the cost of what it, of what it would cost you to buy the damn thing. <laughs> so then now you can still have the experience of being on an island. You can still have the experience of the private jet because you rent it for a day. You can still have the experience of all these things that you want without having to break the bank. And so when you go through that list, first of it, it's like, do I really want this? Why? Is it for me or is it for other people? And then once you get rid of all the things that are for other people, now it's, why do I want this? What's that, what would it do for me? What's that deep underlying need that it's mm. meeting? And then see, is there another way I can meet this need? I remember reading this uh, book by a, a mentor of mine and he goes into what his lifestyle is like. And you look at his lifestyle, and if you just saw what he did on a yearly basis in terms of the home, the car, the travel, all these extravagant things that he does, you would think, oh, this is like a five, $10 million lifestyle. And then he breaks it down by what he pays for them, and it cost him 600000 And so even though 600000 to a lot of people is still a lot of money, it's not $10 million. And so when you recognize, wow, I can live that life, which in, from my perspective and most people's perspective is a very like celebrity life mm. for half a million or a little bit more. That is so much more doable than thinking you have to make millions and millions and millions. We live in this culture now where people think that if they don't have a million followers, if they don't make all that money, that they're not like good enough or mm. that it, it means Successful. something negative about yeah. them. Yeah success is something that you define for yourself and so when i remember listening hearing this story it was a tony robbins event and this guy multi multi multi-millionaire stands up and tony says to him are you successful and the guy goes honestly no i don't feel like i am and the whole audience no. like gave him that look of like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he says well, why is that? And the guy goes, well, and there's all these other things that he wants in his life. He's doing the whole when I get there, right? So mm. I'm not good enough as I am, even though I've done all this stuff. And then some other guy who I think somebody bought a ticket for, he's almost homeless. It, Tony goes, are you successful? And the guy goes, absolutely. And he goes, why is that? He goes, every day above ground is a great day. You know, it's like, I'm alive. You know, I can, I can do all the things that I want to do. It's all the mindsets, all the perspective. If people can just understand that, you create the rules for yourself. You create the conditions for yourself. You determine what success is for you. 
and forget about what everybody else is saying. If you're happy, you're winning. And that's the game for you, you know, and just getting clear on that, that self-awareness is something that a lot of people never stop and get clear on what matters most to them, what kind of life they want to live. And they're just thinking about what everybody else is doing. They'll go on social media and they'll see their friends or their family or people they follow posting all these highlights of vacations Mm. or things they just purchased or whatever it is. But no one posts the things in their life that they're really upset about. And so you don't see, you you know, I remember hearing a beautiful expression, social media is other people's highlight reels being compared to your behind the scenes. And so you're sitting there thinking, wow, like, you know, I got my phone right here. It's like, I'm scrolling through and maybe I think in the moment, well, my life sucks because I've got all this hardship going on. And then I see Luke and he's posting about just went on this vacation, just (laughs) bought this, but maybe you got some hardships too, but you don't post about that. So I don't know. And now I feel inferior or I feel like my life sucks compared to you. And that that means that that means something bad about me and all of it, you know, there's not that um, awareness of why do I chase what other people have versus what I would make me happy. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And you know, it's uh, our own insecurities and and everything to, to ultimately address, you know, so what would be some words of like inspiration or, um, yeah, final thoughts that you would give to our audience. And then, yeah, I was going to say, where can people find you online if they want to um, learn more about what you do? I know you have the book as well. So where can people find that? But if we do final for, final thoughts first, um, and then, yeah, if you let people know where they can connect with you. Absolutely. And so I think as a final thought, something that I, I really sincerely hope that everyone takes to heart, you are perfectly enough exactly as you are. And when we can internalize that and realize, you know, the love that we seek, the, the uh, validation that we seek, all these things we need to give to ourselves. We're not going to get it outside of us. And once we've done that, getting really clear, what does the life I want to live look like? And when you get really clear on what that extraordinary life is for you, and again, for you, not somebody else's vision of it. Now it's, well, what would I have to do day to day? What would I have to build? What would I have to get good at? What would I have to learn in order to do that? What kind of people could I surround myself with that might speed that process up? What help could I get to get further along faster? You get clear on that and then you just start doing it. And it's one step at a time, day by day. You know, there's, I like the visualization of you start walking one step, one step, one step. And before you know it, you turn around and you're on top of a mountain. Yeah because you've been climbing steadily, but mountaineers, there's this expression, they say, never look at the peak. Because if you look at the peak, you see how far left you have to go, and it might be discouraging. If you just look at your feet, and you look at what's right in front of you, it's progress, 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 like nonstop, you know? And a lot of the people that most of us look up to, that we consider mentors, they might've been in the game for multiple decades. And if you're, you're doing it for 10 months, and then wondering why it's not happening, takes time and Patience. so i know for myself you know i'm approaching you know f- over 400 videos on my social media i've got 397 i think of my shorter videos and then i've got like 20 or so longer videos out there so when you imagine over 400 videos and yet i noticed at one point on video 192 you know this video got less likes than video 37 and if i 
based my success or my, you know, validation on that, I might have just quit and thrown in the towel. But the mm -hmm. amount of people that have watched my stuff and then say, hey, that one minute video turned my whole day around. Thank you so much. And that was video 315. Well, that would never have happened if I gave up. So I just keep putting it out there, keep posting, keep contributing, keep serving, because I know it's helping other people. I enjoy it along the way. And it's just part of my process. In the same way, you find what that process is for you and you really dive into it. So again, you are exactly enough as you are. And from that place, you can grow and you can build. I love that, and, man. Um, in terms of where people could find me, uh, you mentioned the book. Yeah, I wrote a book called 20 Steps to Your Next Breakthrough. And I really wanted it to be a, a quick, it's like 72 pages, I think, a quick, practical ebook that's powerful exercises in there. Anyone can get it for free on my website. The notes will be, you know, the links will be in the notes of this. Um, if you're interested in having a conversation, if I can support you in any way personally, grow your business, helping your relationship, your health, help you make more money. Also, links are in the, in the notes section. I will share those links with people. It will also be in the notes section as well. So, Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Luke. And thanks, everyone, for listening. No worries. No worries. So, guys, I will be back next week with another awesome guest here on the Grow Together podcast. So, I will look forward to talking to you then. Check out the links to, to connect with J Jamil. And yeah, I will look forward to talking to you next week. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening or watching to this episode of the Grow Together podcast. The Grow Together podcast is available every Thursday as I bring on and interview our community members here at Grow Together. If you would like to learn more about Grow Together, then head on over to our website, which is growtogethernetwork.com. That is growtogethernetwork.com. The two guys is the number two. So just pointing that out, so it's growtogethernetwork.com, where you can pick up our free personal growth plan workbook, learn more about our community and get access to a wide range of other content via our community blog. With that said, guys, have a great day.